morning. Welcome to everybody who's joining us here on site and those who are joining us online this Easter morning as well. I hope your Easter is off to a great start so far. I know that this is a day for many of us that is filled with trend, uh, traditions and some sort of common things that happen in the household. Maybe later on you have an Easter egg hunt planned in the snow. It's a Canadian challenge that goes along with that activity. <laughs> uh, also, of course, with the kids, Easter baskets and chocolate. I'm looking forward to that because we have our, our granddaughter with us who will experience an Easter basket, hopefully with chocolate this time as well. Maybe, maybe not, we'll see. Grandpa might just have to steal some chocolate from her. <laughs> I think that's allowed, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I see a lot of grandpas nodding for sure. You know, I find it interesting that some days kids are allowed to have chocolate milk for breakfast, but Easter is the only day that you can have milk chocolate for breakfast. So, so maybe you've experienced that in your house already today. But also later on, probably uh, family gatherings, not just here at the service, but for meals too. And in our house, we're on team ham and scalloped potatoes. Anybody else on team ham? Yeah, what other teams do we have out there? What else is in the oven? Turkey. Turkey. It's not Christmas, folks. It's Easter. <laughs> Lasagna. Yeah, whatever team may be on, I hope you have a great time gathering with family and friends around, uh, around your table this week. Well, if you've been with us for the past, uh, past few weeks, you know that we have been going through a sermon series where we're referring to it as On the Way, where Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem in the events of Easter, and we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark, in particular chapters 8, 9, and 10 in Gospel of Mark, where Jesus repeatedly predicted what would happen. He repeatedly predicted his death and resurrection, and he also offered some intentional lessons on the way to these things. Lessons about how in the kingdom of God, the human pursuits of ambition and greatness and, and expectations in life are to go the way. In the kingdom of God, they are to go the way of the cross meaning that they are to bring glory to God and loving service to other people. And if you were with us and you picked up, a handful of people picked up on the Mandalorian reference that was in this, thank you for that. Some of you may have missed that. But more importantly, I hope you picked up on the references and the lessons throughout this that Jesus taught his disciples in the way as they journeyed along the way to the cross where he would become the way. That was the main thing we were trying to focus upon. And during Easter, we remember that Jesus did not just tell them. He did not just tell us about the way. But through his sacrificial death and glorious resurrection, he also showed us that he is the way. In fulfillment of the words that he spoke about himself earlier in his ministry that we find in John chapter 14 where he said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And by holding tight to this truth, we can experience new life with him now and for all of eternity. You know, it's kind of the power of show and tell, isn't it? Have you ever had a situation, maybe you think back to when you were a child and you had an opportunity to tell somebody about something, but then also you had a chance to show them something. I, I know kids love this. Kids love show and tell at school. And, and Jesus had the ability to tell us who he was, but also show us who he was. And maybe that reminds you of your opportunities at some point in life to practice show and tell as well. Maybe when you were a child, you had a, a special toy, and you went to school, and you got to tell all your friends about it. But you're not allowed to bring it to school. Now, this caused problems, because of course you still tried, right? <laughs> of course you tried to bring it to school, and then your mom caught you, or if you got past mom, you got to school, and your teacher caught you, and then your teacher just called your mom in the end anyways, and you just got in trouble, or 
He's, that's my life. <laughs> that's how that works. We had the problem with our son Joshua as well. Joshua's common for this. We had to check his backpack every day. If he got something new and it wasn't nailed down and it fit in his bag, he was trying to take that thing to school. <laughs> it was a regular thing. You know, I heard of this one, um, this one school, this one teacher who wanted to do show and tell in her classroom, and she thought this would be an interesting opportunity, actually, for us to do show and tell and to celebrate the diversity, the unique heritage of all the different people in the classroom. And so she gave her class an assignment. She said, class, if you want to, you can bring something from home that represents something special and unique about your family. And the kids loved this idea. And over the first couple of days, kids were bringing various types of dress that were, that were culturally you know, related to who they were and their heritage. And, and other kids were bringing heirlooms and, and things that had been passed down for generations in their family. And then this one boy named Benjamin, who happened to be a Jewish boy, brought his yarmulke. And he wanted to share with the class that this is something he wears on his head when he goes to synagogue. And the class loved it. And so the next day, there was a boy named Tom who was going to come and do show and tell. And he, he kind of wanted to follow suit with what Benjamin had done. But, but he wasn't Jewish. He was Christian. And he thought, well, how, how can I do this? What can I possibly bring that represents my church and my family that I can share with the class? He thought, I got it. And the next day, he stood in front of his classroom. He says, my name is Tom, and we go to a Baptist church. And so I brought you a casserole for us all to share. <laughs> <laughs> Now, welcome to West Meadows Baptist Church. We don't actually have any casseroles today. That was last week. What we do have for you today, though, is hot cross buns and cinnamon buns following the service that you'll find on the tables out there. And I encourage you to grab one of those and, and meet some new people here today as well. But hey, on Easter Sunday, we celebrate how we show and tell the story of Jesus' resurrection and victory over sin. Amen? Amen. And it's more than just a story. Because if it was just a story from antiquity, we might be able to tell about it, but we wouldn't be able to show about it. But we should be able to see and to experience the hope that this promise, the promise of this day brings to our lives. We should be able to see the presence of Jesus in our lives, and therefore we have something that we can show and tell to the world. Now you've likely heard the saying at some point in the past, seeing is believing. You've heard that before? Yeah. It's an idiom that some people choose to live by. And basically what it means is that if somebody tells you a story, even if it is absolutely difficult to understand, highly unlikely, unless you see evidence for yourself, you'll choose not to believe. And this is actually one of the motivations that some of Jesus' opponents had for him when he was ministering. They would come up to him and they would challenge him to show proof, to back up the words that he was telling them. And often Jesus would not comply with, with their requests in that sense, because that's not the motivation for which he did miracles. And that's, that's not why he came, to just put on a show for people. In a sense, we can look at the example in the words of Jesus, and, and I'm not sure he agreed with this idiom. Because he even once said to a, to a crowd, he says, even if someone were to rise from the dead, you would still not be convinced and believe. You know, I think he was Right? Because when we look at the events that happened on that first Easter morning, seeing was not believing. You know, Jesus had repeatedly told his closest to him what was going to happen. I'm going to be arrested, guys. They are going to flog me. They are going to crucify me. And I will die. But then I will rise again, he told them. 
And then John 20, we read about this in the Gospel of John, that some women came to the tomb on that first day and they found the stone had been rolled away and the tomb was empty. Just as he said. But they were filled with worry. And so they ran back to tell the other disciples and Peter and John thought, well, you need to go see this for ourselves. And when they ran to the tomb, they looked in. It was, sure enough, empty as well, except for the burial clothes that were left there. And they were amazed they didn't know what to, how to make sense of this. And then Jesus even appears and speaks to Mary by the tomb in the garden. And she thinks that he's a gardener. Seeing's not always believing. I think the disciples were somewhat blinded. Blinded by their grief because they had seen Jesus die. They, they were limited from their own perspectives because dead is dead, right? It's kind of how things work. They were, they were biased by their own expectations of the Messiah that had been found to be left wanting in the experiences that they had the past few days. And sometimes I think we, too, can fail to believe what we hear and what we see for similar reasons. But when a person's eyes are opened, when a person comes to see that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is active and present in their life, then... When they come to see that, then they can experience the hope and the joy of seeing Jesus in their lives. You know what? We get to see this transition happen in two of Jesus' followers when we look at the story of the Gospels. It's a story that we were given in, in Luke chapter 24. And if you want to follow along, you can turn to Luke chapter 4. Or if you want to use a pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 859. And we read about these two men who were in Jerusalem for the events of Easter... And they're now walking home, though, and they're walking to a small town called Emmaus. They're leaving behind them the, the crowds and the chaos of Jerusalem for the, the quieter, slower pace of their village. That's about seven miles away. And as they're walking, they're naturally talking, especially on the heels of everything that just took place in the last few days in Jerusalem. They have a lot to discuss. And as they walk along the road, their duo suddenly becomes a trio. As a man walks up alongside them, matches pace with them, and says, what are you guys talking about? What are you guys, what are you guys talking about? Now, they didn't recognize that this person who had joined them was actually Jesus. And, and they look at him, and they say, are you the only one who doesn't know the things that have just taken place this past weekend? Sir, you would have to be buried under a rock or dead to not understand what's gone on these past few weeks. I'm sure Jesus <laughs> smirked a little bit at that moment. But then he, he asked them this question. If you're with us the last few weeks, Jesus keeps asking these rhetorical questions. Questions that don't seek an answer as much as the understanding behind the answer. And he asked them this question. He simply says, what things? What, what things have happened this past weekend? And then they proceed to bring Jesus up to speed on everything that's just transpired according to how they have heard and what they've seen. And we find their words in verse 19. What things? Well, things about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and all the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one, that he'd be the one who would bring redemption to the nation of Israel. And, and what's more? It's the third day now since then, third day since all this took place, and some of our women have amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. 
And then they came back and they told us about the vision of an angel that they had seen who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said. But they didn't see Jesus. Now, on one hand, I imagine Jesus is probably pretty impressed. Because they got the story mostly right. It's mostly right. And from, the, from what they tell them, we can see that these guys have most of the story through secondhand information. They were, they were present amongst the followers, but they didn't see these things for themselves. They only heard of what had happened. And you know how dangerous that can be. If your experience with something is simply limited to how you hear it. Anybody ever play the telephone game? Right? Where, where you have a saying, and then you, you whisper it in the ear of another person, and then another person, another person, another person. And it kind of works its way through like ten people. And then, and then the last person who hears it has to tell the first person the saying that they heard, and we want to see how close it is. Like the first person might say something like, uh, like, like the, the Easter bunny likes eggs. And then it goes down through the line, and the last person's like, my tummy kind of sags. <laughs> it's, it's kind of where it ends up. Like, like usually there's a disconnect that can happen through this process. But these guys got it mostly right. So Jesus is probably fairly impressed that they got most of the story right. But, but on the other hand, they've heard, but they do not see in the past nor in the present who Jesus is. And this is why as they walk, they talk. This is why as they walk and they talk, they discuss, but they, but they just can't make sense of it all because they started with the wrong premise. And so in their words, give us a bit of a glimpse into this, into the fact that that's the problem. And we can see the cognitive equation that's kind of going through the head that they're trying to solve. And it goes something like this. They, they have a perspective. They have a premise that they begin with. And then they have some past experiences. And they have their current situation. So they have a premise, past experiences that sort of reinforce a premise, current experiences that align, more or less, with the past experiences, and those current situations, you all add it together and you come to an explanation, usually, but not this time. And in their mind, you know, Jesus is dead. People die, they stay dead. But the tomb is empty and there's been appearances happening. Conclusion? We don't know. Disbelief. Confusion is the conclusion that they arrive at. Now, I think this is the problem is not with their past experiences. The, the problem is not with their current situation. The problem is not with what they've heard and what they've seen. Where's the problem exist? It, it begins with the first premise, with their first perspective. Because what did they say? And I, and I think this is a problem that exists in our world today. Maybe, maybe for some here who are very challenged and questioned with, with the truth claims that Jesus made. Maybe you can relate to some of this. Because the problem wasn't with their past experiences, their current situation. What was the problem? The problem was they started with the wrong premise. Because what did they call Jesus in the first words? They called him a powerful prophet. And it's true. Every single powerful prophet, every single person who has ever come before them when they died, they stayed dead. But Jesus wasn't just a powerful prophet. He had tried to explain that to them. So many times. He had tried to explain to them he was more than that. If you're with us on Good Friday, he made absolute statements about who he was. That he was the living, incarnate word of God. He was the one and only son of God. He was the one who came down from the Father full of grace and full of truth. And that we had seen his glory, but we had not comprehended his glory. Therefore, Jesus was no ordinary man. Did he die? Yes. 
Was the tomb empty? Yes. But because it started with a new premise that he was the son of God, he was no ordinary man, he is the Messiah, was the conclusion that he wanted them to come to. And he reinforces this in, in, in verse 25 as he responds to them after they say this. He, he addresses this, wanting them to see him in this fashion. And in verse 25, he says this. He says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I imagine that was a fascinating conversation. As Jesus unpacked what the scriptures say about himself, going all the way back to Moses, back to the, you know, back to the book of Exodus, all the way through the Old Testament, unpacking what the scriptures say about him. I also imagine it was a long conversation. Because when he finishes, they arrive in Emmaus and it's late. And their minds are full, but they're still not seen. And so they urge Jesus to stay with them. And, and he agrees to come into their house and, and to share a meal with them. And as they lay out the meal before them, they're, they're reclining at a table with, with, with some bread and some, some wine on the table. And, and it's, it's so reminiscent of just a couple of days ago at the Last Supper when Jesus did this with all of his followers. Because here again, as he sits in the town of Emmaus with these two followers, we're told that he then, he took the bread, he gave thanks for it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And, and I think as their eyes went from the bread up, up to look at Jesus, I imagine time seemed to stand still for a moment, because truth was descending upon them. And for the first time, not just that day, perhaps for the first time in their lives, they recognized him. All that he had shown them, all that he had told them, suddenly became true. And before anyone could say a word, he disappeared from their sight. And then they looked at each other. And they said, were not our hearts burning within us? As he talked with us along the road and he opened the scriptures to us. Were not our hearts burning within us? They're not speaking here of indigestion, of heartburn from, from a, a bad meal. They're, they're speaking here of a common phrase that, that speaks of, of the lights going on. They're talking about how as Jesus spoke to them, they moved from darkness to light. Had that happen in your life? Maybe in some different situations? going through a tough situation. You're not quite sure how to handle it. You're not quite sure what the answer is, how to, how to navigate something that you're in the middle of. And then a friend comes along and makes a suggestion to you, offers you wisdom. And you go, that'll work. The lights come on. Perhaps you're in a situation, remember back to your first love, and you're trying to be like, I just, uh, she's just so beautiful and she's just so awesome and I, I just can't find the words to say it. And then like a, a Chicago song comes on the radio. And you're like, that. And for the first time in your life, you understand Chicago songs in those moments. Or, or maybe you're struggling with a situation. And a pastor opens the word of God and, 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 and preaches with the Holy Spirit just moving from his mouth into your heart. 
And the Holy Spirit gives you insight into a situation or, or, or gives you strength to endure something or, or convicts you to make a change in your life. You see, when we experience the presence of Jesus, the, the lights go on. There can be this welling up with inside of us, this burning inside that wants to cry out, yes, there's something right. There is just something true about all that we are hearing and all that we are seeing. And, and the truth that these men came to see is that Jesus is alive and that he was active in their lives. And this news was simply too good to be kept to themselves. And so what do they do? In verse 33, we see this. They got up and they returned back at once to Jerusalem, where they found the eleven. And those that were with them assembled together. And they said, it is true. The Lord has risen and he has appeared. And then they two, the two of them told what had happened on the way. They told what had happened on the way with Jesus. And how Jesus had been recognized by them when he broke the bread. You know, we gather here today. We gather here in this day, in this moment. We join with billions around the world and throughout the past 2,000 years of history. We join with those who have been told the good news of Jesus Christ. With those who have shown the presence of Jesus in their lives. And we, with all of them, have the privilege today to declare what these men declared to the followers in that room in Jerusalem that day. We have the opportunity to declare with one voice, he is risen. We're going to do that again because that wasn't one voice, right? And I snuck up on you with that one. You thought that comes at the introduction. That comes in the middle of the sermon today. So we can declare with one voice to all of those who have heard and seen the living, true Jesus Christ, he is risen. He is risen indeed. And when you come to see that Jesus is, in fact, alive, that he is active and present in your life, when you come to see that he is the way, the truth, and the life, then we can experience the hope and the joy of seeing Jesus in our lives. Amen? Amen. But it begs a question. What does it look like to see Jesus in our life today? Like, like the physical manifestations of Jesus that these disciples were experiencing, that it's not going to happen until the second coming. That, that is when we will all see Jesus again in that fashion. But Jesus kind of addressed this with his disciples. Because he appeared to them a couple of times, and quite often there was one guy missing, Thomas. Thomas wasn't there when Jesus would appear to the disciples, especially the first time. And, and, and he would come in right afterwards and be like, oh, Thomas, you just missed him. <laughs> and Thomas's response would be like, seeing is believing. Guys, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, unless I can put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And this gave Thomas the name that he's known by of, of doubting Thomas. That's how we refer to Thomas, because of that moment and those sayings, doubting Thomas. But then weeks later, Jesus would appear to the disciples again, and this time, Thomas was there. And they're all absolutely amazed, and Thomas has the opportunity to, to see the nail marks. He has a chance to see the wound in his side. He, he has a chance to, to experience personally, firsthand encounter with Jesus, and he believes. And in response to this, Jesus says this to him. He says, because you have seen, you believe. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What does that mean? What he's saying to his disciples is, guys, I am going to send you into the world. And you are going to go and show and tell 
about all that you have seen and heard. You're going to go preach to people who didn't have the experience you had, who didn't have the benefit of this direct personal encounter with me. But that doesn't mean they can't see me. That doesn't mean they can't see me. I will make myself known to them. You go, you show, you tell, and I will make myself known to them. And how does that happen? In so many beautiful ways in our world, even to this very day. Through the, through the work of modern efforts in archaeology and textual research and philosophy and scholarly evidence of the truth of these claims continually confirms the words that we have heard in the Scripture. But most importantly, we don't just hear about these things. We can see Jesus in our lives today. You can see Jesus in your life today if you have eyes to see him. And you, therefore, have something you can show and tell as well. A couple quick examples. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I have been wrestling and trying to figure something out. When I'm lacking understanding about a situation or a person or how to navigate a problem. And I'll just stop and I'll pray and I'll be like, God, where are you? God, what's, what's going on? God, what do you want me to do in this situation? And then it feels like, either through the word of a coworker, through the word of a friend, through, through something within me that recalls scripture I've heard in the past, something I've studied in the past, there's, there's something that comes to mind that provides direction, that, that speaks to my heart that just perfectly addresses what I was beyond my ability to comprehend. And I have, I have to make a choice in that moment. Maybe you've had situations like this as well, and you're faced with a choice. Was that just me? Was that burning inside me, just indigestion? Or was it the living, active Jesus Christ in my life? Now, some people who have these experiences, they've come to learn to write them down and to to make a journal of them. Because, oh, folks, we so easily forget the things that happen. And there's so much power in writing them down and creating a journal. There's one story that inspired me to start doing this. It's a story of a, of a guy named George who was an evangelist back in the 1800s in a town called Bristol, England. And, and when he looked around Bristol, his heart just broke for all of the homeless street children that he saw. And so this evangelist, which, by the way, is not a high-paying job, but he scraped together the money he could find, and he started an orphanage. And for the next 60 years, he ministered to these street kids. For 60 years, he helped over 10,000 orphans. But through those 60 years, he would pray with them, and they would write down and record their prayers. And you can find his prayer journal that was over 3,000 pages long of prayers that they wrote down over these 60 years of herping, helping these orphans. And, and some of these prayers include things like one night they had no bread for breakfast the next morning. There was no food in the orphanage for all these boys. And so they prayed. And the next morning there was a knock on the door and there was a baker at the door who said, I couldn't sleep last night. Something would not allow me to fall asleep. So I did, I did what I do. I got up and I baked three batches of bread and, well, here they are. They tell the story of another day where there's no milk for the children. And so they prayed. They prayed and said, God, guide us, lead us. How do we overcome this problem? And again, there was another knock on the door. And it was a guy who was driving a milk truck that broke down out in front of their house, outside of the orphanage. And he's like, guys, I, you know, milk's going to go bad in the heat of the day if it just sits here. So if, can you help me offload this milk? <laughs> stories like this, over 3,000 pages of stories like this. 
And in all, George Mueller recorded over 30,000 direct answers to prayer. 30,000 moments he had to stop and make a choice. Is it coincidence? Does it just happen? If you put out good in the world, good just comes back? Or is Jesus alive? And is he moving and working in our lives? And their faith was built upon the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm no journaler, but George Mueller's story inspired me to continue journaling as much as I can. Even just three or five lines a day, it takes literally 90 seconds, three or five lines a day, just to have a written record of the prayers, of the situations I find myself in. And in the short time I've been doing that, I'm already being amazed. I'm already seeing and having eyes to see how God is moving actively in my life on a daily basis. And so I hope and I pray that stories like this will, will move in your lives to, to bring you to a point where if you need hope because you're discouraged, if you need confidence because you're going through a troubled time, if you need joy because you've been faithful and are lacking joy, that you would find that joy. If you are lost and need salvation, I hope that these stories would encourage you to look and understand with new eyes that Jesus Christ is alive and moving. And this is the reality in our world, that Jesus is alive and active in our world. I challenge you to maybe find some quiet time. Grab a pen and a pencil, an iPad, whatever, whatever you want. Take something that you can make a record and prayerfully ponder as I look at my present situation, as I look at situations that happened in the past, where have I seen Jesus? Maybe you're presently in a situation right now where as you sit here with us today, you can think, you know what, I, I, I can see it now. I, I missed it then. But I can see it now as, as, as the Spirit illuminates things. I move from darkness to light, and as I reflect upon the past, I can see how Jesus was there. And as you do so, I pray it will bring a sense of confidence and faith to your life. Because sometimes after only looking back and seeing these things, can we see where his fingerprints are all over our lives? And then we, like the men on the road to Emmaus, can say, weren't our hearts burning as he opened the world to us? And you can have eyes to see him as well. This is the reality that God wants us to all come to know. That Jesus was not just a man who died and was defeated, but that he is the son of God who is alive, who defeated sin, who defeated death, who defeated the grave, to the glory of God and for our benefit. In his resurrection, we can see the completion of God's redemptive work. It's because God created us to be in community, to be in relationship with him. But because of our sins, there's this, this separation that exists between us and God. And, and, that, and that separation creates a void in our lives that, that to the best of our efforts to bridge, we always, always will fall short. And because we feel this void and we always fall short of bridging that void, there can be an emptiness in life that sometimes we try to fill with the things of this world, but it just never sustains and never satisfies when Jesus Christ died upon the cross, he paid the price for your sin and for mine. And when he rose to victory, it was finished. It was defeated and it was done. And he bridged the divide between us and the Father. And he became the Savior that we all need. And so that all who will admit their need of him, all who will seek to receive his forgiveness made possible through the events of Easter, can be identified not in his death, 
but in his glorious victory as we too can be raised to newness of life with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You're never more than one step away from experiencing that by saying yes to Jesus. So whether this is perhaps the first time you'd have opportunity to do it, or perhaps if you're in a situation where you've been wandering from Jesus for a while and you feel the need to hit that reset button, you can say yes today. If you're joining us online, there's people there who will pray with you. You can click the button there that says, I give my life to Christ or pray with somebody, and there will be somebody there to talk with you. If you're here on site, I invite you to pray with me in just a moment or come speak with me after the service, and we can journey together and learn more about Jesus Christ who is alive and present in your life as he is in all of ours. So I invite you as we close now to join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beautiful, amazing, unfathomable gift of Jesus Christ's sacrifice for us. Oh, Lord, as we think about the price that he paid, that that our forgiveness was by no means free because it cost him his very life. But I pray that we would feel drawn towards him to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price that I could not. Thank you for standing in the gap. Thank you for being the one with outstretched hands who now offers me forgiveness healing, restoration, joy, hope, a new identity, a new future, a new reality, something to show and tell to the world. And Lord, whether we receive you today or if we received you a day in the past, this is the day of your glorious resurrection. And we stand as those who celebrate, proclaim that he is alive. And what a glorious day it is. Amen.